and we're off. Nice. All right. Back for another episode. Everybody, I'm Ben. Um, I host this podcast. I'm not special at all. I just talk to my friends. Um, I'm here with my friend Anthony today. Hey, everybody. Uh, so, yeah, let's see. How do I want to start this? I often... You listen to a few, you said. I listen to one with Joe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and my shtick is always like, how would I? How would you introduce yourself? But also, I'm trying to think how I would introduce you. I'm kind of curious how you would introduce me. Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're... I see you very much as this this character. Like, everything about you fits together so seamlessly. I'm like a perfect archetype of something. Yes, you are. But I don't know what exactly. You're extremely smart and curious. And I would say left-brained, I guess. Okay. Where obviously, you're a math guy. Yeah. And But I think also even in your, um, in your beliefs, like, everything kind of logically fits together. Like coalesces consistent yes it's like like you see stuff as puzzles and i feel like i do that a lot as well mm. um i think that's why we have good conversations a lot of the time because we have that same thought process yes it's because we're always trying to get to kind of the bottom of what everything is yeah we're trying yeah. to rationalize something we always try to figure it out yes right? yes and there's always like another layer mm -hmm. that we can take it to but also but there's a, another part of it that's like your your gentlemanliness Hmm. is like like fits in you know i don't know how explain what gentlemanliness means okay you're you're very you're very kind you're not abrasive at all you're um you're open and gracious and you're like uh you exclusively drink whiskey <laughs> um it just like that's not true i drink red wine too it's okay <laughs> okay i think that works no, that's i think that no that perfectly yeah, goes together exactly um yeah, but it, it's just like everything, it's like you were written mm. Wow. in a novel. That was a really good introduction. <laughs> that was extremely impressive. Yeah, I was thinking about this a little bit. I was also thinking about um, who would play you in a movie? Because I was like, you're a character, you're written. Who I would play me in a movie? Yeah, not even like, I mean, kind of based on looks. You know who I was thinking? Who? Okay. Our our producer, Zach, just came up to me and and suggested Kit Harrington. Hmm. That would be cool. I could maybe see that. What about... This is weird. All right. Cole Sprouse. Really? Wait, who's Cole Sprouse? Is that the guy from Sea Life Time Cody? Yeah. No way you just said that. That's so funny you just said <laughs> that. You don't know why, but that's hilarious. I was compared to Cody the other day in my personality. Really? I swear to God. Do you see it? I see it. I am literally, I feel like I am Cody. From really? Sweet Life Zack and Cody. Yeah, I can see I'm literally Cody. You You're like 12-year-old Cody. I'm t yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm just 23. That's awesome. Okay. Cole Sprouse would work. I think so. Cole Sprouse, the one other guy I was thinking of, it's Dylan something. He's the one who, he was like the main character of the, the Maze Runner movies. Um... And think about that. No, I'm thinking about the guy who played Percy Jackson, Logan Lerman. Okay, I was thinking him too. Okay, but um, I kind of I always conflate those two in my head. I I, I just did. Yeah, exactly. Um, still in something. Maybe it'll come to me. But yeah, I think that would work. It's funny because I I think that I'm kind of 
like a character too. I don't know who would play me in a movie though. I don't know who would play you either. No. I was, based on just personality, hopefully this isn't uh, hyping myself up too much. Uh-huh. I was toying with Ryan Gosling. Ooh. You think, you, I, I could kind of see it. Could you? I mean, I'm not like Ryan Gosling from like Crazy Stupid Love, right? Because no. he's just too cool. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not that. But have you seen Drive? Yes, I've seen Drive. That could work. Like a little bit of drive, a little bit of... I feel like you're too talkative for that, though. You have too many things that you have to say. Like, you have too many important... Mm. Do you know what I mean? Well, maybe a little bit from La La Land, too, though. If we oh, mix yes. those two. Yes. Yeah. La La Land's my favorite movie, you know that? Or it's like up there. Yes, you've talked about yes. this. I know like every word to every song in La La Land, which I think also fits in with the architect that we were talking about before. Yes, it does. <laughs> um, what do you think your nerdiness fits into the archetype? Um... Like your Star Wars love, for example. You know, sometimes I think so. But, like, the one thing that I always think, like, kind of breaks out of that mm. is, like, I play the drums. Mm. And that's not normally a thing that a nerdy guy kind of does. So that was always, like, the big contradiction. So, like, I'm, mm. like, this pretty perfect character. Everyone's like, oh, you study math. You love Star Wars. Uh, you fence. You're in a band. Like, that. that's always the one where everyone's like, what? But then also I feel like bands became nerdier at some point. I think it depends on okay. what kind of band it is. It was punk rock, so... Okay. You, could you imagine that? Like, now I can't even... That's the thing. Like, it would fit if you were, like, a jazz drummer. I was a jazz drummer. I was also in a jazz trio. So there you go. That okay. works. Okay. I transitioned. After, like, 17, I got a jazz trio with my friend, and we'd play. Okay. Yeah. Punk rock doesn't... No, it doesn't. But my favorite... You know my favorite genre of music? Emo music is my number one favorite genre. What would you define as emo music? Um, like, give me artists. Uh, Mom Jeans, Hot Mulligan, Modern Baseball, those guys. Th- those are like who I would go to if I was going to talk about emo music. Knuckle okay. Puck, too. Yeah, I don't know any of these. Yeah, exactly. Never heard of yeah, them. Yeah, I don't blame you. How big They're are they? terrible. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> They're terrible, but I love them. Okay. I don't feel bad, then. No, it's good. Yeah, I mean, that's what, the same with the prequels. They're terrible, but you love them. Terrible, but I will die for them. Yeah. If I had a pick between... A Blu-ray copy of them being preserved forever in my life, I would rather have them preserved forever for the next generations to enjoy. For the sake of the culture? For the sake of the culture. Wow. I would give up a lot for them. That's, that's for sure. That's a bold statement. Now, I need to I need to somehow make it so that we can put this on the line. We can make this an actual scenario. No, please don't. Don't, <laughs> don't. don't call my bluff on this one, please. <laughs> uh. what, are you, uh, what are your thoughts on, like, nostalgia? Are you a very nostalgic person? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I find I find myself nostalgic for places a lot of the time. Mm. Like, um, like even the Esplanade in Boston. Yeah. Something that like it's it's beautiful just to visit on its own, but it has a massive nostalgia factor because of how important it was in my life several years ago. Like when I just got here. Yeah. Um, how often I was there um just for like I don't know I guess where it feels like big character development events mm-hmm. have happened um yeah what about you I'm like really I like a lot of my media that I consume hmm. I find myself not really it's kind of weird I, I find myself not really consuming a lot of new media recently really maybe because I'm just so busy with work and everything but like anytime I have to consume media I'm consuming media that I know I've loved in the past. 
So like a really good example mm-hmm. was I just bought Pokemon. I could have bought the new one. But no, I bought the remake of Pokemon Diamond from when I was a kid, right? <laughs> okay. I could have had this new Pokemon game, yeah. but I chose to go for something I know. And so, it was great. I love it. But I just thought that was interesting about myself. I, I agree. That. I agree. Why? Okay, because when I find myself going back and like maybe re-watching shows yeah. or whatever it might be, I think it's, it's kind of out of laziness. Mm, laziness. Yes. Like, because... I have high standards for how I engage with a new piece of media mm-hmm. if I if it is new to me mm-hmm. and I really want to be I want to be deeply engaged and so it's like okay if I am watching something that I've already watched before I can very easily be chill about it get distracted and not kind of you have to put all your effort towards it I don't have to you don't have to exactly right. see so some I think with me right now it's because I'm like I am like really busy a lot of the time mm-hmm. and I have like consuming a new piece of media is a risk. It's like, am I going to enjoy it? Sure. Or if I have free time, it's like, I want to do something I know I'm going to enjoy. That's fair. And that's another thing. But also there was something super nostalgic about picking Piplup as my starter and made me feel great. And yes. then playing Pokemon at like two in the morning. Yes. That felt awesome. Totally. And I, you know, maybe it's just cause like 23 out of college, first September, I'm not in school. Yeah. There's like something to that where I'm like, maybe I'm kind of pulling on, holding on, holding to, on to something a little yeah. bit, right? Okay. I, I built that. a Lego set for the first time in a decade the other day. So. <laughs> yeah. Hmm, this is interesting though. It's like, well, I guess like it makes sense because look at all the media that comes out now is still is rehashes or prequels or spinoffs of mm-hmm. old stuff. Everyone... I think it's the same where like everyone wants to do something they know they enjoy and there is like there's a there's a safety like yeah. you're saying um, it's safe for the for the studios and it's safe for the consumers right so it's safe on both ends. it's safe on yeah definitely the studios but I guess the consumers is more what I'm it's it's weird how it feels like a risk to consume new media because of what you're saying you might right. not enjoy it but there's definitely also like it's I feel like it's an enjoyable process to to see if you're going to like something yeah you know and it's that's completely different than than kind of the warm blanket that is rehashing something Hmm. it is enjoyable to try something new when it comes to media and stuff obviously um but i I find myself doing that less yeah it's just so strange no i get i get it i feel like i'm i'm that way too i just got I just bought the entirety of the Percy Jackson series. Nice. Yeah. At um, Trident the other day. Oh, you went to Trident the other day? Yeah. It's awesome. I love that place. Yeah, it's awesome. And, well, it was just because I um, haven't read them in like 10 years yeah. and I, they were my favorite books ever. Um, and I'm, the sad, the kind of sad thing is I'm rereading them and noticing just how clear it is that they're made for 12 year olds that is so that is tragic it is hard that's the worst and the weird thing is like i reread harry potter a year or two years ago okay. and i didn't get that feeling really no harry potter feels like you think that has held up consistently yeah like it's it's, it's still easy but it's less like contrived it almost feels like percy jackson um it's the equivalent of like of of how do I say this? Like like TikTok in books. It's so like it's meant for the most uh, like a super shallow minded reader. It feels like 
Um, and I'm still going to read them, and I'm still, I still like it. It's yeah. fine. But so you're, you're, you're just noticing it's not going to give you the same feeling that it did. Not at all. So now we're talking about risks of consuming new media. That's a huge risk of consuming old media. Yeah. Because then you're like, oh my God, if I go back to it, yeah. is this whole thing going to get ruined for me? Exactly. Which I'm trying to think about times that that's happened to me. I guess one time that happened was I was a big Sly Cooper fan. Do you ever play Sly Cooper on the Sly PlayStation? Sly Cooper. No. Raccoon, you're a thief and you jump around. Okay. It's great. Well, it was great. And then I played it again. And I was like, this game is ass. Yeah. <laughs> and I was so disappointed. And I haven't played it since. But I was like, you know, there's a risk to consuming old media too. Because that kind of taints sure. what, what the nostalgic image was. And you're like, do we really want to taint that? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. The nostalgia, it does kind of go away. Like the magic goes away a little bit. Once you reconsume it. Exactly. Definitely. Well, it's funny to me that, that like your reconsumption of star wars has never done that to you at all <laughs> never <laughs> i know i don't know how it's wild i i think because i'm not when i watch star wars i'm not watching it like i watch a movie which i'm just i'm just not doing that okay i'm watching it like so here we go rewind flashback we're in 2017 nope 15 16 Star Wars is coming out this year. Force Awakens, 15. Yeah. Force Awakens is 16. Or whatever. Whenever it was. I'm pretty sure it was 16. Maybe it was 17 even. I think it was 15 though. Okay. It's fine. Yeah. So 15. Yeah. It's time. Star Wars is coming out. Everyone in my school knew that I love Star Wars. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now, by yeah. the way, for everyone listening. I. It's a nice one. Thanks. Yeah. Got it, I think, like, the Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love Star Wars. Okay. So I'm counting down the number of days until Star Wars is coming out. And two weeks before Star Wars is coming out, I start counting down the number of hours until the movie releases on my math teacher's chalkboard. And I'm going into her classroom every hour and updating it. <laughs> I'm doing this. At, like, I'm 15, 16 years old. And then during, like, break times in class or whatever, uh, I would go up to the teacher's computer and put on scenes from Star Wars and put mm. them on the screen. On the smartboard. Nice. And it was just like, you know, it's just funny. Yeah. So, when the reason I'm bringing this up, when I go back and I watch Star Wars, I'm like, oh man, when they're escaping from the Death Star and those four TIE fighters come after him, and Han Solo's like, come on kid, we're not out of this yet, and they go into their little guns, I'm not watching it, thinking about the guns and all of the, what's going on on the screen, I'm thinking, wow, remember that time in AP Bio? <laughs> I put this on the screen and I turned all the lights off. Yeah. And when the teacher went to the bathroom when they came back, we were just in the middle of watching Star Wars. Like, that's what I'm thinking about. It's just so deeply woven into it, your identity. It, deeply wo- woven into my identity. Every part of my, every scene in Star Wars, I feel like I could associate with something I'd done in the past. You know? That's cool. A- like almost all of them. Yeah. You know? Like, the whole Yoda Dagobah scene, all the lines, all of it, it's just ingrained into it. Yeah. In- okay. Yeah. So it's it's stuff like that, and even with Attack of the Clones, I, I I'm th- I'm watching Attack of the Clones, and I'm not really watching the movie. I'm thinking about the time that my friend Blake, when I was younger, was like, "Do you think you could recite every single scene in Attack of the Clones?" After we were only five minutes in, I said, "Yeah." I paused it, wrote down every scene, and then we kept watching it, checking off as I got every single scene right in the right order. You know? Wow. That's what I'm thinking about. It's crazy. It's like <laughs> it's like part of your pride. It is like is just your love of this thing. And now we'll 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 we'll, we'll deviate from the Star Wars talk for a second here. So my love of Star Wars is also the same. The reason I love Star Wars so much and why I got into it so quickly 
plays really well into why I love history so much. They're very equivalent because I watch Star Wars all the time and I was learning about all these planets, learning about all these species, going on Wikipedia, reading about all this stuff. Yeah. And then I hit like 12. Uh-huh. And I was like, wait a second. What if instead of reading about like planets, I get to read about old countries? And then I just transitioned from reading about different species to different kings. And I was like, oh, an easy transition. <laughs> so when I love history so much, it's because it's like, Star Wars is like an awesome fantasy story, right? History is just an awesome fantasy story. That's just true. I get that. And that's how I think about it. Yeah. You know? It was such an easy and quick transition. Literally, it was like, all right, mom, I need you. For Christmas, I need 10 Star Wars books. And the next year, it was like, all right, I need like, uh, I need all books on the Roman Empire. <laughs> it was just a very quick transition. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you've told me before, like, um, a great history book just feels like a great novel or like a great storybook. And I think probably I haven't, I haven't read great history books Mm -hmm. before because I, I think my, my whole problem or like aversion to it is thinking that they're not written for entertainment. They're Mm -hmm. just written to, for someone to learn about the thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's like not bad, but I'm not interested enough in, any of the individual historical events to read it if it's not going to compel me with the narrative. Do you think... A lot of the good history books I read read like novels, Mm. but also they tie it into our current understanding of our current political situation, our current historical moment. Yeah. And they'll compare this thing going on. Not just... not, Not even compare. Not just like try to... I hate history books that try to make the past always rhyme with the present because okay. history isn't a science. History is not a science. Humans don't have this. If A plus B happens, then C will definitely follow. Humans are malleable. They're fallible. They aren't. Mm. History is not a science. So when a lot of books try to te- treat it like that, there are lessons you could take. But when they explicitly try to make history and modern day rhyme perfectly, it's an issue. But hmm. when you're able to learn just a little bit about how humans feel in some areas, and you can see like, oh, you know, we can also, we, 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 the same emotional impact is happening today. Maybe there's something we can learn. You know what I mean? But it's not an A plus B then C. You know, it's not hmm. a, if there's a bread shortage plus the left party is really strong, then communism follows. That's not how it works that's not how it works do you not think but what if it's so I sure maybe it's not A plus B equals C Mm -hmm. but do you also think it's not A plus B plus C plus D plus E plus F equals G no I don't because I think because I think people are in these situations yeah and a lot of times people make choices but can't you add like traits or either strengths or flaws of those people as just other variables in I've, the equations. I thought about this and I don't think humans are that consistent. Mm. I don't think humans are that consistent and that's that's why I would say that. Even, okay. I think you can have two people with the exact same traits mm-hmm. and they'll still end up making different choices. I don't think that they're consistent. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. And that's something that I had to rectify with because I first started getting in history. Of course, it's very natural and honestly very 
safe and comfy to believe, oh, if A, B, C happens, then D will happen. Mm -hmm. But you know what that builds? It builds complacency because you're just waiting for all the pieces to line up. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, everything will work out. But what a good, what a good thing I, I like to think about is nothing is going to work out the way you want it to unless you work it out. Sure. So if you have this vision of history of all the pieces just have to line up and then by some natural scientific process, you get this conclusion, mm -hmm. you'll, be, you'll be sitting back just waiting for the pieces to come together. Do you think so? Isn't I think it, that happens a lot. Isn't it more that if you look at history as the equation, then it helps you identify the pieces that you need oh. to create and insert into the, into the situation? Maybe. So maybe if like you think C is lacking, then you could add C. Yeah. yeah, I see what you mean. Right? Yeah, I see what you mean with that. Yeah, like you need an understanding of how the things work together. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't... It's weird, because I, I do think there's gray area here. I was actually talking about this on the last podcast I recorded. Oh, and nice. like, like my brain always tries to... Like, I, I believe there is so much gray area in the world, but I still want to identify like specifically what that gray looks like, the shades of it. Yeah. Um, and I feel like with, with history or geopolitics mm -hmm. or just this sphere, um, the macro like situational variables can still, maybe they can't tell you the whole story, mm -hmm. but they can tell you so much of it mm -hmm. regardless of kind of the characters involved. Okay. For me, I mean, also, you know more than me about this, but I'll just oh, yeah. spitball. Um, because I was getting like really into learning about Ukraine and shit. Oh yeah. And oh man, if you're into that, I got a I got a video series to show you. Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you know who Peter Zion is? No. He, he's a geopolitical strategist. Oh yeah, of course, Peter Zion. Yes, okay. of course. I've okay. seen like every lecture he's on YouTube. Okay. Of course. Good. So you know like how he predicted this. Yes. Would happen within like in it. It happened right at the end of the time frame that he set out. Yeah. Um. He and he was just looking at all the macro variables, demographics, geography. He knew the history of Russia and how like Russia would feel and be worried about getting invaded. It's right? a good point. And it all fit together and now exactly what he's expecting to happen is happening. Of course, then once the actual war started, every all the experts have been wrong because right. everyone thought Russia would just crush Ukraine and there's been huge underestimation of how incompetent Russia is but I feel like even even there you can see okay like maybe we misunderstood how incompetent Russia is but now that we have these variables of like um, of the discontent of soldiers and maltreatment and like the disorganization of mm -hmm. all of their their movements and Putin's um, cult of person. I don't even know if it's cult of personality, but like separating himself from all of his, yeah. walling himself off from all of his advisors. So there's no one, like there's, he's not really getting the truth of what's he happening. He doesn't have any dissent and dissent is so necessary when you're trying to make big decisions like this. You need people to not agree with you. Exactly. Um, you know, like I feel like it, it, it informs it, knowing all those variables, it makes a ton of sense why what's happening has happened. So yeah. I do feel like, Sure, maybe it can't tell all of it. And, for example, like going forward, I wouldn't know whether or not nukes are going to be launched. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's a perfect example of like human unpredictability. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That just comes down to how desperate and egotistical does Putin get. Yeah. But 
There's a really good example. I want to go back to the Ukraine thing, but there's yeah. a really good example of what I mean by the same circumstances won't give you the same result. Okay. Um, the Whig version of history, this liberal notion of there's always progress and we always get more progress, um, comes out of the United Kingdom. And it's when like these capitalists guys start getting more wealth in their own pockets and not from the nobles' pockets. And then eventually democratization happens into those capitalists and the merchants. And then you get a more liberal society. This is what they kind of like thought that history would follow. So if we go to other nations and we get them to have these bourgeois capitalists and they'll have their own clamor for political rights outside of just their economic rights, democracy will follow. Well, it just so happens that while the UK was also building its own class of these merchants, Hungary was doing the same thing at the same time period. Mm. Hungary is building up this merchant classes. And they did not go through the same liberalization process that the UK did. The nobles in Hungary did crack down on, on the merchants, and they did repress them, and there was not democratization. Mm. So the same circumstances, same new classes of development yeah same industrialization capacities different results and so mm-hmm. when we get to peter what's his last zion. name peter zion his videos are awesome but he also predicted that turkey would be a world power and turkey's not yeah <laughs> and i don't think they're gonna be so he yeah, i think he still thinks they will be i still th- i think he thinks so too right yeah well, and it's i just all demographics right and so We'll see, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah. this Ukraine thing, man, I was, I, uh, I, I want to tell you about the thing that I was watching. So Yale posts courses online okay. for free on YouTube every once in a while. And right now they're posting the history of modern Ukraine. Um, and they're, and it's, it, they're posting it with the actual live class that's going on at Yale right now. Nice. So like every Tuesday, Thursday, they're posting a new one and they have the syllabus up on the reading list. I bought the book on the reading list. Um, and I've been doing that in my free time, which it's is amazing. Good. I know it's awesome. It's awesome that they do that for free. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was like, I feel like that the whole Ukraine thing has totally changed our perception of what is possible in the world. We were put, we were in such complacency of like, we're the only ones who can start a war being in the United States. Yeah. And you know, everything else is just uh, the most peaceful time to ever be alive. Yeah. And then you just get, you know, a war breaking out in the middle of the most peaceful continent. Yeah. I think I think it was, though. I think, like, we were right yeah. that it was the most peaceful time. Um, I guess... Yeah, we were. Maybe, like... I don't know. Did we just... Maybe the problem... I mean, it's it started to become obvious that Russia was going to invade Ukraine in the months before. Yeah. But until then, did we just misinterpret, like how much we would deter Russia or whether maybe 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 we thought that Russia's reliance on the global system that yeah. the US maintained would be they'd be more scared of losing that well Europe was Europe was doing its thing that it was been really good at doing when it gets into these big wars mm-hmm. following these big wars like after World War two mm-hmm. France uh, West Germany and some other nations. I, I think they were they started forming like these coal and steel trading groups, so that economic freedom was very very much integrated. So when their economies get integrated, it becomes really really expensive to go to war 
and that's what the German states were doing back post-Napoleonic Wars. They, they, they tried to, you know, hold themselves together by saying, okay, we're all going to use the same rail systems. Yeah. We're all going to use the same coal supplies. We're going to make it really, really expensive for us to go to war with each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. So Germany and Russia, over the past two decades, Germany was trying to do the same thing. Germany's like, okay, Russia, we're going to literally make you our gas supplier. Yeah. We're going to make your economy reliant on our importing of your gas. Yeah. And we're going to make it really, really expensive to go to war with each other. Russia didn't care. And that took Europe by surprise because Europe's calculation was this is the path to peace. Yeah. This is the path. You yeah. get economic integration, and you 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 have you you trust the states you're working with. Mm-hmm. You couldn't trust this state. It was not, it was not a trustworthy one. Yeah, and I and I guess like, the problem, maybe that should have been more obvious is that, the other, like major powers in the world, were no one was ever going to stay complacent with the U.S. just being the top dog yeah. forever. Yeah, you know and. It does feel like, I, I don't know, like geopolitically we are so dominant. Um, but yeah, and it's it's interesting that you say like Germany, like Germany thought, oh yes, it'll be extremely expensive for Russia to go to war. Um, because with even with Germany importing so much Russian gas, because then what happened is Germany was like, oh shit, like this war started and... We're gonna and a ton of sanctions are gonna be placed on Russia, but we also still desperately need their gas. Yeah. So we're gonna keep totally funding their war as yeah. these prices skyrocket. And there's nothing to really do about it. There isn't there isn't much of an alternative. It's still so expensive for us to transport. We have to like super cool down our natural gas in order to ship it across the ocean, right? So exactly. that's so difficult for us to supply them. It it's ridiculous. It's nuts. And and meanwhile, like they're just scrambling to to start all of these new efforts mm-hmm. of energy and it's wild it's also wild to me to think about how like 150 years ago since electricity just wasn't a thing mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just an, a whole new like core sector that controls everything it's like food right you know and it didn't exist for so long and forever it has been just food mm-hmm. that has been that um that's a good point before like the necessities were really just water food yeah and now this energy component really did change the game yeah because you can't you can't survive in this world without energy mm-hmm. you know it's wild mm-hmm. um see this is what happens you have a conversation with me where and are we going? <laughs> after, after 20 minutes of talking to me, we end up talking about the political consequences of Russia invading Ukraine. It happens like every time. <laughs> it's not a problem. <laughs> not a problem at all. Um, I don't know. How do you think it's going to play out? I think... From this point forward? I think I Ukraine's going to hold out. I think Ukraine's going to hold out. I think... I think it's like super important that just the West keeps dumping guns into them because they have proven themselves. This, this counteroffensive that they did in the Kershaw region near Kharkiv and everything. Mm-hmm. I think it's near Kharkiv. Anyway, I know it's in the Kershaw region. Mm-hmm. Point is, this was so... They needed to get a big victory before the winter for two reasons. One, the region that they captured would have been perfect for a staging ground for another Russian attack. The soil, the ground was perfect. The locations that it was near was really well suited for really? a Russian... Yes. So taking this basically destroyed the Russian helipad that they had. 
Okay. Second part it did is it proved to the West that they're a country worth fighting for because the United States is getting more weary about sending guns. The German populace is more weary about sending guns. Mm. The, the West is, as a general rule, getting more weary, except for like Poland and the Baltics because they're at most at risk. This, what they just did, proves that they're a good investment. Because now they, we, they just said if we aren't a lost cause anymore. If they were just on the defensive the whole time, just getting pounded yeah. day in and day out, yeah. countries are thinking, like, what are we doing here? Yeah, There's no end game. Because it's like if you're, we need them to stop Russia mm-hmm. from advancing. Yeah. So if we're not, if we're not doing that, then it's like okay, we got to start thinking about Plan B. How we're gonna? We need these weapons for fucking Estonia and Latvia. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Like, are so. we just wasting our HIMARS on you? Yeah. Also, what's so interesting about this is this is also like showing us if war were to break out between the Soviet Union and the U.S. in the '80s, we would have kicked their ass, destroyed them. We would have destroyed them. And now as well. Yeah. Now. Like, now it's not. Oh, now it's not even fucking. It's not even. A, it's a joke now. It would be ridiculous. It would be ridiculous. I mean, yeah. uh, Russia is the biggest, I feel like one of the biggest paper tigers in history. The biggest paper tiger. Like, there's no, I don't know enough about history, but they're huge. The, 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 the psyche that they had, like captured over the American population, all of our media, Russia invading the US. Think about Monarch for three, Russia taking all of Europe, yeah. Russia invading Manhattan. They couldn't invade Ukraine. No. You know, and yeah. that's—I feel like it's so interesting. But what I also find so interesting about that, during this unipolar world where America was the top dog, we were still so hungry for someone to be scared of. Hmm. We were just beg. All of our media is us begging to have someone to be scared of. Do you think so? I think so. I don't know. I can't. I don't. I feel like. I mean, I don't watch. What do you think? political cable like you do as much but i feel like before this war started and like and was ramping up to it i didn't see much about russia as the big bad i mean Mm. maybe there was there was some stuff about about china i feel like not just russia think about the movie red dawn you ever see red dawn no okay red dawn is a movie from the 80s where i think mexico invades the united states with the backing of the soviet union okay okay and then the story is about American freedom fighters in occupied America taking their country back. Classic story. Mm. They made a remake in 2013, and it was about North Korea invading the United States. Really? Yes. And now I watched that when I was 13, and I'm thinking, oh, ha, like, I'm actually like concerned that North Korea is going to invade us. Huh. And But now I'm thinking back, it's like, North Korea invade? What were the writers... <laughs> what insanity. Are they, what are they on? You know, it's like, who... It feels like government propaganda. It feel it literally feels like, but but it's not. That's weird. That's weird, right? Like we want this, we consume this, we're yeah. asking for it. That makes sense. I think I there guess. are there are some war movies that are government propaganda. Like remember the movie with uh, you're not gonna remember the movie. I don't even remember the movie. I think it was called Twelve Strong, and Chris Helmsworth is fighting in Afghanistan. I think I remember trailers for it. Yes, okay. that was funded by the State Department. Really? That did get funding from the U.S. military. Okay. And they do that from time to time. Transitioning. Have you seen the recent U.S. Army ads? Um, I feel like I have seen some of them. The one where it's some dude walking around a city, and it's raining, and he's all sad, and he's like just bombarded with technology everywhere, 
and he just gets so frustrated and he trips and he doesn't have a purpose and the narrator is like are you looking for a purpose are you not satisfied and then he falls in this puddle and when he picks his head up it's him crawling through the mud in like a battle zone and it's like find your purpose can you like it's so crazy to me how we have this hyper consumer culture hyper materialized technology is getting like really alienating it's making us more alienated and then all these things are kind of driven by state policy i feel like and then the solution that the state policy is giving us is join the military it's so it's it's so scary to me i watched that clip and it's like that is speaking to somebody that's speaking that's speaking to so many kids who feel so lost don't have Mm. a purpose they're playing video games all day and then they see that ad they're like you know what maybe i'll take it off the screen do you think so though like you think it works yeah, right? Like, I can't like, believe it works. It's so contrived. Right? It's so... That's the that's how I feel about most ads. Like, they're, it's so obvious what they're they're trying to... Like, the the psychological underpinnings that they're aiming for for this. And I'm like, yeah, am I really gonna... Am I really gonna put myself in, in the middle of a battlefield because I struggle with not feeling purpose sometimes? You know what movie I've been watching recently? What? American Sniper. And I when I okay, yet. when I watch that movie, it's easily American propaganda. It's all point. Mm. It's about like the best sniper in American history doing his thing, and it's about his struggles with war and not being in war anymore. Anyway, they are so over the top with their patriotic America stuff really? that I, it's almost like a spoof. And I'm watching this movie in some scenes, thinking that the movie is being critical of America because how heavy-handed it is with the patriotism, but it isn't. It's just that patriotic. That's the point. And I'm watching it, and I'm like, this has to be a spoof. There, no one is watching this and then walking away thinking that this is a good thing. Yeah. But the whole country walks away from it thinking it's a good thing. So I know that we might watch those ads and feel that way. How, like, this can't work on anybody. Yeah. But they wouldn't be making them if they didn't. That's true. You know what I mean? And that's so scary. <sighs> that's, so, that's so scary to think about. I guess. I mean, they're probably... Maybe they're working to some extent, but I think, like, the military has been way yes. under recruiting. Oh yeah. So yeah, that's that's true too. Not working that much. Yeah, they can't work that much then. No. I think um, that's one of the that's one of the with the whole like student debt thing that's been on the news and all that. Mm. A lot of Republicans will go on TV and be like, "We can't make college cheaper because that'll hurt our military recruitment." Yeah, because it's like people go to college, people go to the military to get free college. If we just give them free college, we stop going to the military. Mm. What an awful incentive! Yeah, what a, like just like it's like the quiet part, right? Yeah, and it feels like as I feel like something that that the Ukraine war is. I mean, I think the world in general has been going this way, but I feel like we're kind of trending towards deglobalization. That's a big Zion thing too. Yeah, yeah. Um, is that we shouldn't need as much money in the military like it should be okay yeah for us to start transitioning away because um i don't know maybe there will be there will be a little bit less international trade like exchange of goods amongst between countries that might be hostile and like russia is proving that right now yeah instead there's just going to be a little bit more isolation which means that you're not going to need as much military like oversight to make mm-hmm. sure that everything goes smoothly um that's especially true for the u.s because well we're we're going to be like energy efficient or energy efficient or energy um, independent 
Yeah. Right. And once we become energy independent, like totally, especially with the green energy revolution, like once we're like good to go, not even just with green energy, once we're with our natural gas and all that, um, once we are not reliant on these foreign places, mm. we no longer have an invested reason to like guard the oceans. Yeah. And that was always a part of the deal that Europe had with us. It's like, all right, we'll all be peaceful and we'll all hang out. And, you know, there, there's like a classic line after World War II where the Europeans are like, either we get bought by the Americans or conquered by the Russians. So Europe mm-hmm. was very, very cool being bought by the Americans. Yeah. You know, but now we're like kind of, we kind of want to sell you off. <laughs> like you don't really, you know, we're cool just kind of selling you and not really paying for your defense. We're kind of, yeah, we're kind of chilling. We're pretty good being independent, I feel like, on all the major stuff. And that makes me upset because I am a globalist in my mindset. Yeah. And I feel like it's awesome to have this cool, amazingly integrated world. I love NATO and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I think these are awesome institutions that do a lot more, a lot more good than harm. I agree. Because there is harm that comes out of these things, but they're not, you know, the, the benefits are immense. I agree. So, if, if stepping away from stuff like that is scary to think about, you know, but I think like, yeah, we don't want like a bunch of little nation states thinking they just go and hurt each other. We There's got to mm-hmm. be some, that's, that's what the unipolar moment was so interesting about was like whenever there was a regional conflict, whichever side America was on, and America was going to normally always pick a side. The other side just back down. Okay. You know what I mean? Now, without that, I don't know what comes after. After like, What comes after that? Yeah. Especially like a, with a multipolar world of China can project their power as efficiently as we can project ours. If that ever happens, which I'm still reluctant to believe. I don't think that will. I don't think we'll ever let it get to that point. That's yeah. the thing. I don't think... I don't think... Like, last time China fought a war was like 1970-something when they invaded Vietnam. Hmm. Uh, America fought a war Saturday. So, like, there, it's different. We have, yeah. like, uh, our our militaries are just, we're battle trained. Exactly. We know we our generals aren't just playing war games. Yeah. They're, they're designing the game based off real events that they've participated in, where China just plays off our experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it's a whole, yeah. Yeah, we'll be fine. Oh, we will be fine. I mean, we'll dominate. To be honest, uh, I know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's interesting. It is. It's. It's interesting because it feels like there's so much, like fluidity, happening. I think that's why I, I, not not. It was nice about the Ukraine war, but I started paying attention because I don't know. It's it's almost like the last twenty five thirty years has been like a pretty clear status quo mm-hmm. since the Cold War. Um, and now it's like pieces on the board are actually moving again. Yeah. So it's it's not good. A lot of problems happen when there's when there's this much movement, but it's also interesting at least. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I think about post Cold War, like why this happened to Russia, what happened to Russia was fairly similar to what happened to Germany post World War One. Mm-hmm. It's fairly similar. German Empire gets crushed. Um, and then revolution happens inside of it and we the west wasn't really I don't know if they would call it the west by that point but the allies just you know put a lot of pressure on their economy blah 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 blah. and then bad things with Hitler and then with Russia we just kind of 
destroyed, dissolved the Soviet Union. It, it mostly through a democratic process, though. A lot of the, those nations were formed in democratic referendums and all that. Um, but we imposed this type of shock economic policy where we were like, okay, sell off all your state assets immediately. Do all these, destroy your state industries right away. There was no transitional period into the market economy. Okay. It was like, literally put your, it's like, okay, you got bankrupt, mortgaged everything in Monopoly, and try to buy back. Yeah. You know? That's kind of what we did to them. Okay. Which I think was a failure. Because if you look post-Napoleon in Europe, when we took out Napoleon, one of the, Austria, one of the biggest fighters of Napoleonic France, the the, the staunch conservative state on Europe soil was like, we need a really, really strong France. Really? We need a strong, we don't need like a somewhat okay France. We need a strong France that will counterbalance Russia. Interesting. That's what the UK was thinking too. Yeah. Like, they wanted a strong France. They didn't want a weak France. Okay. A strong France with the, a leader that they installed? Yeah. Okay. So that's what they did. But it was a, it was a good organized state that they didn't cripple. They even encouraged its rebuilding, mm. which, you know, you can have some images of, of uh, Yeltsin and Bill Clinton, whatever, mm-hmm. and you can get the idea that Clinton wanted a strong Russia and all this, but it was like we didn't trust them, and because we didn't trust them, we kind of just encouraged them to feel more humiliated, and that national humiliation breeds this type of strongman that yeah. comes out of that right? yeah and but we, we, we Dominant, didn't, they like, didn't do that to the to the french state and they didn't they didn't have a second napoleon yeah it didn't happen it worked it worked so okay well hopefully after russia goes down this time we we figure that out yeah we figure that out please yeah. that'd be pretty cool i know yeah put a good strong leader in russia that we can that we count on terrified of yeah yeah that'd be cool yeah. okay I want to connect this back to you again. I just had this this question in my it, mind because you're obvious. So you're super knowledgeable about this stuff. You spend a ton of time learning about it. Mm-hmm. Does that does that make you feel like responsible to use this knowledge? Yeah, yeah. I talked about this. I've t- we've talked about this once before, maybe twice. But I always feel like I always feel like there is some responsibility for action yeah that all of us have if we have the time to think about this type of stuff yeah and in my life now i don't really take much Mm -hmm. i'm you know i was i was like the president of the socialist club Mm -hmm. as you know during college and that made me feel great i helped do a little protesting I, i i worked with some unions i did some canvassing all the time and that was awesome and i've worked on political campaigns back home but this summer, I really didn't do much for politics, which is upsetting. Mm. And I didn't... It's almost like I lost the direction because when you're in the university setting, there's like thousands of clubs to go and join. But when you're just a normal adult, it's actually really hard. It's completely up to you. It's so to set difficult. The path. And the reason I view it is a necessity to set this path, there's a big moment of, of uh, political development in my life. Junior college first socialist meeting of the year we're doing a presentation about the rise of hindu fascism and we have union organizers from india coming and giving this presentation mm. and and we're listening we're watching and 
he's talking about how the BJP is the strong political force. That's the Hindu Hindu Nationalist Party. And I asked, I raised my hand and I asked the question, like, who's the opposition party? Is it Congress? Is the, is Congress the opposition party? And Congress is like this, like it's even it's even less. It's more toothless than the Democratic Party in India. So, like, whatever. And they're like, no, not really, blah, blah, blah. They aren't that strong, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And this old guy who's sitting in the back, he's like maybe in his 60s. He's got a beard. He's from India. Mm. He, he raises his hand and he says something. He's like, why have the people in the West... I'm going to paraphrase. I don't remember. Mm. But it's like, why have the people in the West lost so much of their imagination? You guys are the people of the French Revolution. Why are you waiting for leaders? No one's coming. No one is going to save you. You have to have the courage to lead yourself. Hmm. And that was awesome. Hmm. And I was like, I, after that, I was like, okay, all of us need to have the courage to lead ourselves. Because there is no savior. There's no Messiah. Yeah. A plus B plus C won't happen unless you change C. Yeah. So it's like we need people of action who will do that change sure and after hearing that it was like if i'm not one of them and i still complain that things are the way they are who am i waiting for no one's coming yeah you know what i mean and that was a big moment for me okay so that's why today when i'm walking around i i i I talk to the state rep of brookline and i'm like can i get your car we'll grab a beer and i'll talk about how i can help with your data science or whatever perfect timing exactly literally perfect right before this right before this perfect timing okay you know yeah how do you feel about it do you feel like because i know for you 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 feel this existential dread (laughs) and you're like you're like if i i'm gonna guess this is how you feel please if i put this on my head and shit doesn't work out then i'm to blame but if i'm not actively trying then I can't be blamed for it. How do you feel about that? I think that's part of it. Okay. I think it's... So much of it also just comes in... Um, in laziness and in lack of, like, truly caring. Mm. It's... And it's so sad and it is honestly pretty shameful to say. But I, I just don't... Like, I see all these problems I recognize all these problems and disp- like even when I when I think about them I don't know maybe it just maybe the full extent of the shit that we're in hasn't completely washed over me mm-hmm. because I don't feel terrified mm. I don't feel like I really care that much about things changing about things getting better or Maybe I trust that there is enough of C here. Mm, I see that. Yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. Um, so, and then I think part of it is, is like, like protecting myself from, like knowing that I have that laziness, protecting myself from the shame of, of having the knowledge and not doing anything. Like I feel like I'll spend less time looking at this stuff um, or focusing on it because when I do I think okay this is something important that I that I should address because I can conceptualize its importance even if I don't feel it mm-hmm. 
Um, I think there's also like on some level, it's just the murkiness of what exactly do you do? Right. Like, you know, sure, I should get involved. And I've like, I've gone to a couple events for Ayanna Presley. Nice. Um, so like, and I've donated and shit. I vote. So, you know, like there is involvement that's happening. Mm hmm. But it's always a spectrum. Like I could sure I could I could do more. I have the time to do more. But is this is it like this thing is so important that I should be spending every minute of my free time right. like fighting to fix it? Because I don't think I want to. I, I don't I don't think I want to either. Yeah, I, I have that feeling. And so where the fuck do you draw that arbitrary line? Yeah, because I right now I feel I feel guilty about a lot of it because I think like okay I'm in like a very corporate job mm-hmm. when so much of my pre adult life was being so anti-corporate exactly. and now I'm here in this corporate job I'm I'm a part of the professional managerial class yeah. I've literally never done any serious work and now my title is assistant manager which I think is so funny I think that's hilarious yeah. who am I managing? what do you mean? <laughs> I've never done anything myself I'm going to manage something? you know I th- I, and I think about that I've always and I, I love that phrase, phrase professional managerial class and that's just that's where we're at yeah. That's kind of the class that we're in right now. And so being here builds just this aura and this nice bubble of complacency. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I live in a great apartment. I got great friends. Yeah. I got a good life. I'm hanging out. What do I really have to fight for right now? I'm chilling. Exactly. But then another part of my big political development, I was at a Bernie rally in Brooklyn, in Brooklyn, in Astoria. Mm. And he's given a speech, and it's to this awesomely big crowd, just like fifteen thousand plus people, just incredible. The the just the, the feeling of hope I had. Yeah. And we're in this in this crowd, and he says something along the lines of like, "Grab hands with the people next to you." We're all grabbing hands, and he's like, "Promise that you're willing to fight as hard for someone as you don't know, as hard as you're willing to fight for yourself." And everyone just screaming. People are crying. And it's like, yeah, I am willing to fight for a stranger that I've never met before as hard as I'm willing to fight for myself. Because your life is just as valuable as mine. And I've accepted that. And I'm going to make sure yours is as good as it can be. And that that hasn't left me. That okay. feeling hasn't left me. But the, the, the drive to go and do things, it just gets harder and harder to find the older you get. Yeah, and I think for me, that's why I, I think I I couldn't make that promise in good faith. Because the like the truth is, I again, logically, I can say that that is true. Right, that's what you should do. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's the right thing. It's the right way to, to act from any like third-party objective observer. Yeah. But it's not how I feel at right. all. Like... And I've talked about this, I don't know if on this podcast or something, but I I find zero care in myself for people I don't know. Really? Zero. Like I can I can I can force it, I guess. Like I can if I really actively put myself in this other person's shoes mm-hmm. and imagine, okay, I am the one experiencing this. Right. Not them. Then sure I can feel it. But it's it's such a it's it's unnatural. For me to do that. It doesn't just come. When I see it in people I know, it becomes more natural. And it comes. Um, but 
be because of, and I I don't think I don't think I really feel ashamed of that. It feels very human to me. I feel like that is I I think I think that's how a lot of people feel. Yeah. I think that's yeah. It's almost like it's almost like when he says that in that moment, it's kind of like getting beat over the head with a bat. Of like, what are you doing? Stop thinking that way. Think this way. Yeah. It's not like a natural thing. Exactly. It's like it's like something your parents are training into you. Yeah. Like don't act on your own impulses. Mm-hmm. Act in this other way. Yeah. And I see now I can do that even more because that's just generally something I have come to have a very very hard time with. Being like trained to think a different way, or getting your like natural impulses under control. The latter. Okay. Like like doing things that do that contrast or or that are not aligned with my natural impulses. I think it's easy to get to that point because um, nihilism. Yeah. It's just... Well, let me ask you something. Yeah. Four years ago, I don't think you went to the gym at all. True. Now, you're huge. Okay. (laughs) Was that you, like, beating back your natural impulse to not go to the gym? Or, like, what what was that? I know Fernando was a huge impact. Mm -hmm. But, like, what was the... It's a good question. Because um, now you won't miss a day, you know? Correct. It's a good question. I think there were a lot of factors. Um, so I I had to adjust something. So what the gym lacked for me before was any feeling of a feeling of progress uh, or results, right? Sure. And so what started happening is I, um, I got great advice from Fernando. I learned more about it. I honestly, like, to get into specifics, I cut back on the weight that I was trying to do so that I created kind of a little bit of space for myself to progress, oh. to overload. Um, and then I started seeing results, and I got addicted to the progress. Um, so it became like, again, it is now, once once progress was coming, it, it was part of my natural impulse because it feels so good to go and it doesn't feel like I'm going and just butting up against a brick wall I every see. day. I see. Um, I don't know if that's like completely related, but I feel like that's kind No, but of I understand. Related. It was just like, so I mean, it is related because what happened was you got the gym to align with your natural impulses, right? Exactly. So you were like, okay, I, I only want to do things that I know are going to be effective, that are going to actually make a difference. Yes. And then you went in the mirror or you started lifting more weight and you're like, oh, wow, it actually is making a difference. And your natural impulses were like, keep doing that. Exactly. You know, which is really cool because that means like the second you start seeing some type of progress, you're in it 1,000 billion percent. Yes. Right. Exactly. The second you know your time isn't being wasted, you're like, I'm going to dedicate all I got. Yes. Yes. I. Sorry. Why? I feel like you might have had more to say. No, no. I. And I think I like that we're talking about this because I haven't super thought about this a lot. Um, is that it's like thinking about where to how I can make those shifts, like these minor adjustments in other parts of life to make it to make it easier, mm-hmm. I guess, to progress and to do really well at stuff um because i i guess i do feel daunted by 
the amount of effort. Like I'm, I'm really not good at can like butting my head against the wall constantly. Yeah. Perfect example of this recently. Um, I, I fucked up while I was recording my podcast with Gabriella okay. a few weeks back, and um, I lost like the Audacity file, and instead I only had the videos on my phone. So I've been trying to convert the audio from the video of the podcast that we were taking so that I could edit it and post it. And I, so I, I'm like, I'm able to get the videos. I send them to my computer. I try to convert them. They're too, the files are too big. So I look for a different program to do it. New program can't do it. So I say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to download the videos and cut them up into little pieces so that I can convert the smaller videos into the bits of audio. When I try to do that, whatever step I get in the process, try to do that. My computer's like, we need to do this software update on the whole OS before we can do that. <laughs> no. I try to do the software update. It says your computer doesn't have enough space for this. Oh my God. I have to clear like 10 gigs of space, which I just showed you. And I think our producer Zach just pointed out, I have like 80 gigs on my Mac. That's just taken up of, of, other quote unquote <laughs> other space but I don't know where it is and I don't know how to get rid of it so it's just like like you just hit that wall enough times dude and I'm like I'm done I'll get Gabrielle on the phone and do another podcast yeah like, fuck it I it's and I think that's just most things it doesn't it no thing feels really important or worth it enough to try to break through the wall so I'm guessing you're a very anti-hustle culture kind of guy. Though. Oh my god, yeah. Yeah, right? Yeah, I'm not really into it either. Yeah. I'm not. I tried to be for a little while. I was in school Yeah. for a while. Okay. And then I wasn't anymore because I, I I just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. It takes so much effort and you don't make progress. And you get your head smashed against the wall a lot of the time. So yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Exactly. I know, And it's like, that's how I feel. I know you just started a new job, which is great. Mm-hmm. love to talk about that a little bit. But like, I think like... With work, sometimes I'll feel like that, where it's just like, I was telling you before, I have these two white, these two whiteboards behind me in my room, and when I'm getting like tasks thrown at me, I write them down, and it feels so good when I erase it all. Five minutes later, it's all full again, and it's like, what am I doing? Exactly. I hate it. Exactly. Oh my god. Yes. Exactly. I hate it. I hate that. But I also one of the reasons I one of the things. What, one of the reasons I like what I'm doing now more than what I've done in the past is I at least see progress. At least I know that the work I'm doing is almost done and there is an end date because I'm a consultant. So like there is an end date and there's a project that would be completed and we have timelines we have to meet. So at least I know that things are happening. Whereas some of like the other research stuff I've done, it's been so nebulous. Okay. Of it's like, okay, yeah, in 18 months, the grant will be filled and blah, blah, blah. But, but isn't it... But I mean, I guess because I worked for a company that was kind of doing consulting okay. just recently. And it isn't like, sure, the project is going to get done. And then another project is going to exactly. come and it's going to be basically the exact same thing. And that and is scary. That sucks. Yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's it's unenthusing to me. Yes. So, no, it's unenthusing. Yeah. And I think like, I don't know. I don't know what will get me super enthused, which is still what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. I don't know exactly what I want to do yet in my life. I just don't know. Well, I do think, I think politics is a good, um, 
I think politics, again, if you get in like real, the really right place, yeah. like if you are working for someone who you truly believe in, who you really want to like boost them and you care about helping them spread the messages that they're putting out because you think that it matters that people get those out there. Um, I think that's good. I also think some, like one thing that is kind of, energize me more is doing stuff like the podcast right. and the blog right because expression of like unique individuality seems more um rewarding and valuable than kind of any skills i could contribute anywhere else because mm. otherwise the skills i contribute Otherwise, we'll just be filled in by someone else. Yeah. Some other cog will fit into the machine. This podcast and your blog is very, very specifically you. Exactly. You know? So I appreciate that. What do you think? So I, I, I love writing, yeah. but I haven't written a lot recently because I'll open up the page and I'll get like two pages in and I'll be like really proud of those two pages. And then I hit a little bit of a wall where I now have to really start thinking about it. Yeah. The initial juice is gone. And, and then I think, who's really going to read this anyway? Yeah. Who's going to care if I finish it? It's all right. I won't finish it. And I'll close it and I'll move on. Yeah. And that sucks. I feel like I want a little bit more of a... Like, even with my little personal hobbies. Yes. I need, like, a little bit of somebody to push me and keep me from... Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah. Even with my personal stuff. Even when I'm playing the drums or trying to get better at fencing. I want somebody else to be like, what are you doing, you lazy asshole? I agree with that. Right? Yeah. So I... One of my friends, Tyler, um, love the guy. He he has like been big. He's been good at social media okay. for a while. Um, in terms of like he he creates YouTube videos, gets thousands of views. That's awesome. Um, and stuff. And so he saw one other place that I that I um, that I have the biggest following that I post my thoughts is TikTok. Hmm. And he found my TikTok, and I have like four thousand followers or something. He's like, dude, that's follow TikTok. Yeah. I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's so cool. It is. Um, it's it's fun. I just I just say thoughts. Except like a couple days ago or yesterday even, I I posted something that I was kind of embarrassed of. It was I was just duetting this emo video because it hit the shit out of me, and I was like, and I captioned it vibes, and I, it was literally just my face as I watched the video. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, um, he's he called me up and he was like, dude, I see what you're doing here. I feel like we could really do something. That's sweet. Um, and so he was going to like put a bunch of the stuff on YouTube. He was going to make YouTube shorts out of the TikToks I was making. We were going to kind of talk about ideas on um, more content to make. And I was like, yeah, this is this is cool. He was like, yeah, we could do a book in the future and stuff. I really need to get him back on the phone because we just have been bad at communication. Of course. Um, and I think part of it is like the, the pace that um, I need that we'll probably need to go to keep both of us really engaged the whole time. Yeah. Like we weren't meeting that early on. Um, but even like when he got on the call and said that, I was like, it feels so much more real, mm -hmm. you know, and exciting, I guess. Keeping that pace up, especially in the beginning of projects like that is so vital. I had, I've had experiences like that too, where we could be so into it for like three weeks and just going hard. And then you take like one week off and then you're like, yeah. Was it that cool? You know what I mean? Yeah. There was a this is this is this is a this is a classic story, but someone during the interview asked Jerry Seinfeld how he became so funny. You're a big Seinfeld guy, so you might know the story already. Maybe. 
so he's asking him, how did you become so funny? Like, how did you? He's like, I wrote one joke a day. You told me this story. I did already. Yeah. Okay. So I wrote one joke a day my whole life. And he's like, a joke a day. He's like, at least one joke a day. Could be a terrible joke. Yeah. But I wrote a joke a day. So you just don't break the chain. Because the second you break the chain, you start losing it. You yeah. need to have a consistent chain. Yes. Which is so hard to do when you're trying to do a full-time job and have hobbies. It's super, you know, because you don't want to break the chain of work, obviously. Yes. And so you don't want to break the chain of your hobbies. So yeah. you're trying to do these two things every day. You're trying to keep all this. And then also, I have a, bad, I have a horrible time of free time. Mm. I, I find myself having a, like a good amount of free time nowadays because I'm getting tired from work, I guess. Mm. But I'm really not good with it. If I have free time, I will be going to a coffee place to read. I will be playing the drums. I will... Be hanging out with friends. Be hanging out with friends, friends, fencing, something. I will yeah. be doing something. Sure. I'm just not good at it. Well, why is that bad? Because you're oh, doing Oh, no, your it's hobbies. not bad. No, it's not bad. Yeah. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. Sometimes, so, okay, sometimes I do think it's a bad thing. Because if I do have a day where I'm just sitting at home, I feel guilty. Okay. And that's not good. Because it is important to have days like that. Yesterday was like a day like that for me. I didn't really do much. And I hung out. I had a good time. Played Pokemon. Okay. Chilled. That yeah. was fun. You know? But, like, I'm not good with that. That yeah. definitely impacts my psyche. Like, if I wasn't doing something today and I did that yesterday, ooh, that would be bad. Mm. I can't do two days in a row of nothing because then I'll feel really, really down. Like a piece of shit. Super big piece of shit. Yeah. You know? And I, I think you it. feel that way, too. Yeah. I. Yeah, it's really paradoxical for me. This What I've been thinking about a lot is, like, I... For, like... I don't know, since the beginning of high school, I've, my mindset shifted in like my sophomore year of high school, I was 15 years old, to be like, like, all the work that I do should be to do the least work mm. that I ever have to do. And I, and I've, I, I would say I've mastered it. I would say I've become extremely good at it. Mm-hmm. So I don't have, like, but the alternative, it leaves me with, of course, so much free time and I realize that in that free time I don't want to just be a vegetable right you know and so it's like okay so I spent all this time training myself to not do work and yet here I am with time and all I want to do or all I feel like I should be doing is work is work but you've gotten so good at not having to do work yeah and feeling like the not doing work is the reward that I should be able to indulge in constantly Mm -hmm. that's a really that's so interesting you've worked so hard to not have to work as hard and now you're upset you don't have to work as hard. Yeah. Or you get bored because you're not working as hard. Exactly. And you're like, what am I supposed to do right now? Exactly. And trying to fill that hole is so difficult. You know, and I think that's a, that's a big thing about getting out of college mm-hmm. is we always had something to do. Now, for me at least, I don't know if this is the same experience for you, but I kind of always had some homework I had to be doing. I always had some studying that had to be done. I was in the library, especially over the last year, I was in the library every day. There was not a day where it was no, maybe, you know, maybe once a week I wasn't, you know, but even on weekends I would go one day during the weekend. Like okay. there, there wasn't really a day off. Okay. Part of that was because I, that wasn't an option. If I didn't study, I would fail. Part of it was because there were things I could do that felt productive. And if I have them, I'm going to indulge in them because okay. it's going to make me feel good. I get a little bit of that from my current job because there's a bunch of shit I could always be doing on the weekend, but sometimes there isn't. And you're like, there's actually nothing for me to do that's productive right now. 
and you're sitting you're just like okay i guess i have to reindulge in my hobby that's why i started fencing again because i have more time mm-hmm. i haven't fenced since i was in high school and then i was like all right well this is it first paycheck month of fencing lessons that's what we're doing yeah yeah it's like because with school i i describe as the track a lot the track like you're on a track oh yeah right and and yeah you have to you have to study and put work in to keep moving forward on the track and it feels right yeah right but with any of your hobbies it it's not it's like the train has gone off the rails yeah you have no idea which direction like honestly like it's comparing it, a train to a car yeah exactly exactly it it is it's a car that you get to drive anywhere now um and i know you were saying that you don't like structured learning you're not a fan i'm a huge fan of structured learning Mm -hmm. for kind of that reason because it's like i know i'm going to get the content that i need consumed to understand i will get there as long as i stay on the track as long as i put in the work and i'm on this track i don't have to worry about if i'm learning the right things going at a slow enough pace i'm on the track now if you're in a car you could go really fast and make sure that you 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 know use gps and get there in the right way Mm -hmm. but also there's some creativity that comes from just driving aimlessly and learning through that aimless driving that you don't get instruction learning yeah yeah i think i see what you're saying structured learning is like safer so much safer that's why i'm watching literally youtube videos that are lectures from a class with a syllabus yeah right yeah. that's the way i want to learn it's safer does it feel boring no i love it it's great it's a great way to spend my time okay it's a great way to end the night i'll take notes during yeah. while i watch the video i'll pause it okay you know it's a great it's a great way to spend my time i think like it's just a again because you're on the track it feels a little bit more productive than if not that makes sense because a lot of the times i'll be trying to get into a hobby how do i know i'm driving the wrong way how do i know i'm not going how do i know i didn't make two laps and i'm going in the direction i came but wouldn't you say that you could just zoom out of you doing the course and like the sure it's it's a track Right. But what if the track is like? What yeah. if you're supposed to be going towards twelve that's, o'clock and that's the track so is going true. towards? That's 4? so true, and that's happened to me before. That's happened to me before. Where I've, I've, I thought I was doing the structured learning thing, and then I zoomed out and I realized that that was all bullshit, and it was a terrible way to structure the the learning process. Okay. That's happened. Well, it can. It it's can, happened to me in class. That's happened to me through these. It's happened to me all the time. Yeah, yeah, and it's like it's like whether it's bad in terms of how it, the structure is set up, or whether it's just oh, I don't. I don't actually care or need that information or knowledge at all. Right. I think that's where the that's, struggle comes in for me. That's interesting. Is I always viewed... The problem with structured learning is I, I always saw it for some end. Yes. Right? And now, if I ever get into structured learning, if the end is just... The end is just learning and... If the end is just learning, then I would rather train myself and learn based on my own questions. And like, and the reason I love that too is I 
have so many of my own ideas yeah. about the stuff that I learn and so many of my own questions and opinions that I think structured learning is more to fill like to create that whole thing for you. Mm. If that makes sense. I had a really good example of why unstructured learning is so cool a month ago. So mm. a year ago, I was reading this book on Tiberius Gracchus, awesome Roman politician. He's okay. a banger. Um, and in there, they're talking about his tutor. They mentioned his tutor's name maybe three times in the book. So four pages in total. Blosius of Cumae. And he was a Greek immigrant slash philosopher type who was a slave and made free by his Roman slavers. And then became a tutor, taught Tiberius. Tiberius went on to be a very, very important Roman politician. He tried to redistribute some of the land in the Latifunda region to some soldiers and peasants and a really cool guy. But point is, Blosius made an incredible impact on him, instilled him with kind of this philosophy of democracy that was not common in Rome. And a lot of Romans hated Greek immigrants because they were bringing this democratic mindset and they wanted to stop Greek immigration into the Roman Empire. They wanted to ban philosophers entirely from the Italian peninsula. But Blosius Cumae is there. And I read that book a year ago with the four pages of Blosius Cumae and I was like, what an awesome guy. I read a little paper about him that was 11 pages online. There isn't much info about him. His Wikipedia page is only maybe 12 sentences. Damn. And, you know, the references are from the book I read. So I'm like, okay, this is cool. I learned about Blosius Cumae. Awesome. Yeah. A year later, I'm reading this other book called The Poison King. And it's a story about this ruler of Pontus named uh, Mithridates. And he took on the Roman Empire. Um, as much as Hannibal did, Mithridates did. And Mithridates, I'm going to use the word infected, which is great because he's also f famous for poisoning people. But he infected the Roman psyche and terrified the people where you would walking down the street of Rome and bring up the name of Mithridates and people would fear that he was around the corner Damn. Mithridates was inspired by a rebellion in the uh, region of Pergamon led by a guy named Antiochus in 132 BC Okay. Antiochus which I'm I butchering the name formed a settlement called the city under the sun or the sun city where he freed all the slaves made everybody equal and had perfect democracy one of the governors was the Blosius of Cumae and after Tiberius Gracchus was killed for trying to reform the Roman system Blosius was under threat so he left and he joined the rebellion with Antiochus and joined this rebellion in the, in the region of Pergamon and Mithridates was inspired by Blosius too. And this was not something that I was trying to learn about when I read The Poison yeah. King. But I somehow was able to expand my knowledge and my little interest of this one character who had 12 sentences on Wikipedia. And he's only mentioned once in the book The Poison King. His name had mentioned one time. And it connected so many dots for me. I ran back to the old book I read, pulled out my notes because I take notes on every book I read. And I'm like, wow, look at that. Ah, unbelievable. <laughs> 
That's awesome. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. That is that's the moment. That's a wild, that's such a distant connection to be made. I know. That's crazy. And those are the moments of these unstructured, of this unstructured learning that I really do appreciate. Yeah. Because that was me just driving in circles and I didn't know it. And yeah. once it all connected, I was like, oh my God. It's crazy. It's like, it's, it almost feels like new knowledge. Like yeah. I'm sure some people know this, but very few. Very few. That is such a niche and that makes me feel amazing yeah. that I was able to find that. Yeah. And I was able to enjoy that. Because how many people read The Poison King and now didn't pick up on the name Blosius so and mean anything? Most. Most. Yeah. And I was like, wow, I this mean, is huge. And we're only talking about the handful of people that's, that have read The Poison King. Yeah. Even, so. So it's just like, I've, I've thought about that a lot. And that is like, that's a huge advantage to unstructured learning that you don't get from structured learning. Sometimes yes. a really good teacher could structure a class like that, but that was so natural. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I read that. I was on my bed. I shot up. I was like freaking out. It was like, it was like, so cool. it was like midnight and I'm going through my notes. It was just so funny. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think structured learning is, is, is definitely better for some things like skills. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're going to try to learn a trade with unstructured learning, exactly. probably not a good move. Yeah. Cause you do need, you do need building blocks and like practice mm-hmm. to get to that. But I, even then, like, there are certain, I guess, again, like, the mindset, my mindset tends to stray towards, like, like, do I really need to, do I really need to get good at this thing? Mm-hmm. Do I really need this skill? It's like any skill that I want to develop almost feels, like, it feels inconsequential. You must have hated taking calculus. You must have been sitting there thinking, what am I wasting my time for, right? Why? Because you never use it. Well, that's how I felt about all school, though. You felt that about all school. There was not a single class that you would look back on and be like, wow, I'm glad that that was a part of the path. Yeah. Really? You feel that way? Um, no. There were, well, there were some classes that had activities that I enjoyed for the sake of the activity themselves. I don't mean that, though. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, there was no class that I took that I was like, oh, this is so exciting. This is going to be vital for my life in the future. Wow. Well, that's how I felt a lot about the Cal classes. My stats classes, I was genuinely like, okay, this is sick. Okay. But my my, my Calc ones honestly made me feel that way a little bit. And that was the... That was the uh, the little part of my brain that's saying the structured learning is bad. Mm. It's coming out when I'm taking like Calc three. Okay. And it's like I find the area of a sphere. Yeah. Who the fuck cares? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the thing is, I was I was wrong. Like, not wrong. I mean, my point is that I, I have taken classes where the knowledge is useful. Like it, ha- I have used it. Oh, okay. Past the class. But you didn't feel the way at the time. I didn't feel the way at the time, and the point was more like, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Like I, it doesn't matter if I go into this thing knowing the curriculum of these classes because it will be, either I won't know it well enough to just do off the top of my head and then apply, or and I'll still need to, like I'll still need to learn a little bit by doing or by doing some research once I'm actually given the task. Sure. Um. And so it kind of all felt, it all felt extremely contrived and unnecessary and just like, okay, this is the, this is the, this is what we've made 
the the track and right. like our educational system into as far as how it merges with um, with our capitalistic system. Right. Like we we have set that there are these there are these checkpoints in terms of your GPA and just getting your diploma and that they will they will lead into certain careers based like almost mechanically yeah um, yeah exactly it's almost like a it, they're, they're describing it like a scientific process where it's like you do a b and then bam c is going to happen exactly and then and then and it doesn't and you're like what <laughs> what do you mean <laughs> what do you mean it didn't happen what do you mean it didn't work out what do you mean i'm not a data scientist what do you mean mm, that's part of it yeah i guess i because th- i think i'm going for something different what are you going for? that you're describing more that like I think to and to some extent it does happen. Okay. Like like maybe I mean, it worked out for me. Yeah. To, for some people it works out first yeah. of all, but even if it doesn't work out, it's like sure if maybe you don't get exactly the job you want or maybe you don't get the type of job you want immediately after college. But you you go and you do your like you do your time in this weird like knowledge purgatory that is college and by doing that time you get the credentials that you need to then get a decent enough job where you're doing, I don't know, like I'm speaking very broadly, but to me it didn't matter as much the specifics. I didn't, like, I I don't know. I didn't need to be a data scientist or an engineer or to me it's like, sure, this is like, there's problem solving for in this aspect of the job. And I want to have problem solving as part of it, or Mm -hmm. there's communication as this part of the job. And I want that to be part of it. Yeah. And in all the experiences I had, it was like, sure, there are those things. And yet still what is most important to my experience is the people I'm working with. Um, and I care more about what I'm going to be doing after I'm working rather than during. And so it's like, okay, let's, let's go through this college space. It will get me into the workspace. And then once I'm in the workspace, the college space completely doesn't matter. That's yeah. It's a completely separate thing. Completely irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah, and that's frustrating. It just means that I couldn't possibly bring myself to care about anything in college. Right. And you're and you were saying before how you were trying to get the maximum amount of effect with the minimum amount of work. It's perfect for that. Because you're like, I didn't need it anyway. Exactly. So I got through your stupid track. I put in the most minimal amount possible to do well. Yep. And now here I am. Exactly. I followed your track and I didn't have to put in that much work. Yeah. So there you go. Exactly. And I think, do you ever feel guilty about, because I feel kind of guilty sometimes where we're, we're like pretty successful guys for our age. Do you ever feel guilty about that? I, yes. In the way of like, it, it what it shows me is mm-hmm. that I, I can do so much like knowing that I can do what I do at at such a low capacity like such a low percentage of my capacity it it proves to me that I could do fairly incredible things Ah. um, if I ramped up the capacity it's not like I don't know is that what you were describing by guilt I'm 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 gonna go something else now have you ever, because you, you, you made me interested in something else. Yeah. Have you ever given something your absolute all and failed? Yes. Explain. Bump call. Bump call. 
Yeah. Um, Tell me a little about the story, if you don't mind. Yeah. Cool with that? Yeah, I haven't. Yeah. I haven't gone into this a lot. Um, I'm really especially curious. not on the podcast. So I'll just talk to the audience first. I started a company um, with two of my really good friends at the end of junior year. Right. Yeah. Beginning of COVID, like four weeks into COVID or something. It was so. The story is great because we. It was. They were my two roommates at the time. We sat down at our table. We were like, guys, we're pretty bored. Let's make a, a million dollar idea. So we sat and we started brainstorming. Um, and eventually what we landed on was this idea of, of something to spontaneously put you in touch with people. Because it was COVID. You're we like, okay, everyone's remote now. We're not seeing people in person. Um, and because of that, I'm just we're just not in contact with people. Because we found so many of the relationships we have, like have never really been maintained by by text or by virtual communication it's through the spontaneous times you see them yeah or just or or just like hey let's hang out oh, right yeah. so you're not having conversations um and it's weird like to make that transition it usually it often doesn't happen that you make that transition especially since we might have still all been in the same place but just not seeing each other so we're like okay it would be kind of cool if we had an app that just would send you notifications on your phone randomly throughout your day and connect you with one of those friends, almost like randomly bumping into someone on the street. So we wanted to call it Bump. The name was taken. We called it Bump Call. Um, and what it ended up being is the you get a notification on your phone and then your friend gets a notification at the same time. Neither of you know which friend it's going to be until you tap the notification and open the app and then it starts a timed five minute video call with that friend so it's not like super invasive in your day or anything you just get to say hi see what each other are doing have a nice serendipitous interaction um and we really liked it and we did a ton of user discovery we did like 50 user discovery interviews that seemed like okay people like yeah people have these problems that we're trying to address they have like texting anxiety so it's hard to reach out they're like they've also realized that they're not talking to people as much during covid when we tell them after we ask all the questions about the problems and we propose the idea of the app to them they're like excited they're like oh i would really love that that'd be a lot of fun um and so we're like okay let's do it so we make it over the course of several months um but when as we're making it like like we're including the most basic features that we want um, and we put out a beta and it's not being used how we would expect at all it's, it's just not being used generally in term in that like when people get notifications they'll be pretty unlikely to yeah pick them up so we're like what's happening and kind of the conclusion we ended up coming to was there is a despite people's desire to to connect into thinking this is going to be serendipitous not knowing who is going to be on the phone is a problem is like a stressor that that is hard to overcome like it's not a big enough reward to overcome all the time yeah and also being given something spontaneous that requires a bit of social effort means that your barrier to entry is lower. So even if you're doing something like 
watching a YouTube video or reading a book, like if, if you're going to be interrupted, um, by this little call, people will be like combined with a little bit of stress, like the little feeling of awkwardness. It's not enough. It's just not enough for people to pick up. Um, and so we, like after we realized that, we scrapped it. Yeah. Because it just wasn't going to work. I'm sorry, I ranted a little no, bit. No, you but... made the app though? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I, I could download it if I wanted to? Um, I think it's, because we were on the, we were, it was just a beta. Okay. So it's not, I don't think it's on the app store, but you could have. Wow, I didn't even know that. When it was out. I didn't even know that. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that you didn't. I probably, we probably talked to you about it, but maybe. You did, did talk to me about it a lot. Yeah. I don't remember when the beta came out. I feel like I probably interviewed you about it, and then you, like, weren't, you I was not the demographics. So. I would, yeah. Yeah. I, but, so how did you feel after, so you gave your all. Yeah. And then it didn't work out. Yeah. How did that, how was, it, like, the next month after that, or, like, the next two weeks? Well, it's weird, because it, it was like a taper. It wasn't like, like a, oh, it failed? It wasn't falling off a cliff. It was like, oh, it's failing. Yeah. Exactly. Um, so by the time you put it to bed, you were kind of satisfied, like I tried. I guess. Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't know, maybe I could have kept butting up against the wall, but I, I am really, actually, like, I am quite impressed at what I did, because I was that thing. Not, I, I wasn't all of it, like, like, obviously I had help and people worked on our team, but I was the engine. Yeah. I coded the whole app. I um, I led like all the the um, like we did social media advertising and stuff. Mm-hmm. I led all that. I remember seeing the advertisements. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like we went full out, and it wasn't. I don't know. Like it wasn't all good. It was still someone who had never mm-hmm. done most of this stuff trying to do it, but. I put so much effort in and made so much progress over a small period of time where I had little to no expertise. Right. Um, so, yeah. Case in point, I have done something and given a while and failed. That's crazy. Yeah. But, and did you feel like, so, the reason, I don't really know if I have really given something my absolute all and failed. Really? I feel like once I start seeing it failing, I kind of self-sabotage. And I'm just like, ah, screw it. That's fair. I don't really, I, I, part of it's a pride thing. Yeah. Where it's like, I don't want to give it my all if I see it going downhill a lot of the time. Sometimes I'll see that, I'll see it going down, and I'm like, I would rather be able to say, that I didn't give it my all and for it to fail and to say I did give it my all and it didn't work out. Yeah. Because that, totally. that's such a harder thing to accept, right? I think some things that I feel like I've come close to giving it my all, fencing in high school, I gave that a lot of my all. I would fence like all the time. And that was a... that. But then near the end, by like my senior year, I stopped mm-hmm. giving it my all. And I could... Because it was like, all right, I'm never going to be the best. It's okay. I'm not going to be the best in... The, in in the the region, let alone my studio, it's just not going to happen. Sure, right? And so you taper off, and, and there's nothing more you could do. Sure, but there was the truth is that there was more I could do. Yes, and I was so afraid of giving it all of that, and still getting my ass whooped. 
Okay. So would you say it was more that or was it or more I mean or was part of it like like fencing's cool and all, hmm. but do I want to commit this oh. much of my life yes. to being it, that good? And it was also no, I did not exactly. want to commit that much of my life to that. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. But I also find that happens to well, one of the things that I feel like with me is I'm kind of like a jack of all trades. Where I'm like, I'm pretty good at math, but I'm not the best. Mm-hmm. I like history a lot, but there are some people who dedicate their lives to this that I'll never be able to match up to. Yeah, I'm a pretty good drummer, but some people do drums professionally. And some people love, and I love politics and I do what I can, but some people are politicians. And I try to do a little bit of everything because it's like, if I commit to one thing too much, then I feel like I'm mocking myself out of everything else. I yeah I was I was I wanted to go in this direction earlier when we were talking about the car versus being on oh, the track. Oh good good good. Um, cause, cause with the, with the track like it's, it's not you don't have a choice of what the one thing is right. You just mm. you just have the one thing and it is what, what it, it is, is right. And now but for I don't know for me my perception of any given one of these hobbies of. Whether it's it's podcasting and and putting my personality out there and my unique self as much as I can, or if it's dedicating myself to a cause that really matters like politics, or if it's just trying to create something awesome like getting really good at cooking, mm-hmm. um, there is no like there is no basic unit of value to ascribe to any of these things to place one over the other. Yeah, and so any time I think of going super hard at one of them it's like i mean i could or i could go super hard at the other or i could go super hard at the other or i could do none of them because clearly if i can go super hard at any of these then not going super hard at any individual one is totally fine do you think like so this is a great example of when i go down to write and there's no unit of measurement of value for every page i write it de-inspires me from writing more Mm. where I'm like there's no actual value getting created and it's like what am I doing and a lot of it is brain rot where I'm like I need to make money right a lot of it's like brain rot like that where it's just like instilled into my brain like the reason I went to college was to make a good amount of money if I don't make a good amount of money then you're a mess up Mm. that's totally in me okay that's like deep in my bones interesting oh yeah Oh, yeah. A thousand percent. Okay. Well, th- let's look at it this way, man. I love history so much. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a, a person more apt to go and study history. Yeah. And to go be a librarian somewhere, you know? I can't you just picture me as a history teacher? Like, that's yeah. obviously the track. But I was like, no. I'm going to make no money. I'm going to study math. I'm going to get my master's in math and stats because it is, like, the most high-paying degree you can get out of college. Yeah. Say, for, like, economics or law. And I'm going to do that. And after I do that, I'll make a good amount of money and I'll be able to do my other shit that I enjoy on the side. But it's always been that first. It's interesting because I feel like it, we're, what we're talking about now lies on a spectrum. Mm-hmm. Because if you became the best at history or you, even if you just, I don't know, created, if you became a, a social media person mm-hmm. and you communicated stuff about history in a really cool and engaging way, um, you got a million subscribers on YouTube or... Um, or you wrote books that included a lot about history and, and also maybe related it to life in a way and people read your books a lot. 
There's money there. That's true. There's money there. It's just not easy. It's not as easy or safe as being on the track. Yeah. And I chose the track. And and so... And so many how, other people do. How can you not almost... Like, how, like I mean, I, I know how you cannot, but... How can I not what? Choose the track. Oh, yeah. No, how can I not choose the track? The track is right there. It's so easy. You hop on. Exactly. And here I am. Exactly. And... But I think I think that's exactly where the, like that is where the discre- the conflict arises now. Yeah, it's like okay, I'm a, if I, I can be on the track, and I can have ease, right, or I can hop off of it, and I can have extreme difficulty. But with that extreme difficulty, I can have extreme fulfillment that now the track re- will never give me. Then I then this is the reason I asked you the question. Have you ever gave something your all and then failed? The penalty of hopping off that track, giving something your all and failing, is immense. The penalty to that in life, not just your ego and your psyche, but your material conditions, is really bad. And that's where I think it's overblown, though. Really? At least for me, because this is the this is what's so good about me having created all this freedom and done all this work so that I no longer have to do any work or do like, I don't know what, I probably work 10 hours a week at my job. Something it's like so that. messed up. It's nothing, right? And I, and I have, I still have, make good money from it is like, I, I can't use the excuse of like, I don't have the time. I, mm. I have, I totally can go fucking balls deep into some into some other thing. Do you think that being on the track has given us the freedom to go balls deep on these things? Do you think that being on the track, securing this standard good life, working the 10 hours or working my uh, 80? <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> I know. Most, a lot of people, I think, I think most people actually do go more your way. Like they, it's like money is just the continuation of the track. Yeah, and so is. so you're just you're still kind of a slave to wherever it's going easily. But if that's like when that's the case, it means you you remove the time for yourself to do other things. And so it's it's almost like you've decided to to mortgage that in order to continue to have the stability mm-hmm. of the track yeah and you probably feel a little bit less anxious because it takes up more of your time and thus you don't have to worry about spending that time on other that's interesting a, things that's a great point that's a really good point and it's just like i don't know on the track the, like the track is just so safe yeah. and being able to hop off it is just insane i feel like the i was in an interview once and they asked me like what I want to be, hmm. like what like they were like what do you want to do and like as like your job and I was like you mean anything, and they're like anything I'm like chairman of the Federal Reserve if you're gonna say anything and they start laughing, but it's like I'm not, I'm not fucking kidding yeah. like I, I I have so much ambition for stuff like that where I think that's a that's another aspect of me that's fairly unique because I don't think a lot of people have that same level of ambition. I don't know if I would call that ambition though. You don't think that's ambition? I don't think it's ambition to have a dream job. I think it's ambition to work towards a dream job. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Okay. Well, do you feel like you're doing that? Yeah. Okay. No, I do. Okay. Uh, yeah. It, ask me in five years. Okay. 
then I'll tell you. But like right now, I'm very much on the track. Okay. Okay. To do to get there. Not, not actually there. That's impossible. But like to get near there. Why is that impossible? It's like being the president, bro. It's a joke. It's like if I worked in the Fed, that would be really cool. That would be like the dream job. Being like a financial modeler in the Fed would just be sick. That See, this is this is exactly the problem. Is that the problem? Is that you think it's impossible? Like that's that's exactly what I mean. Is you the reason I wouldn't call it ambition is because you don't actually think that, like you're not working towards it because you don't think that it could possibly happen to you. I guess. And that's what limits most people. I think like. And well, do you have a dream job? No, that's the problem for me. Hmm. The problem is not knowing what I want or where to put my efforts. Like I, sometimes I think I need to try as hard as I can to become the president because <laughs> I need, because I trust my ability to assess what is right for the largest number of people. And mm -hmm. I need to place myself in the position where I have the most power to exert I that. I love that fucking mindset, dude. It's, it's awesome. Maybe, but sometimes, sometimes I'm like, I need to, I should, um, just try to communicate myself and spread a message as widely as I can with stuff like a podcast and a blog. And because that is where I'm going to, like, I, I think, I think ideas can be more powerful. And I think even putting yourself in a position like the president, sure, you'll have the platform to spread your ideas as much as you want, but by associating yourself with a party and just putting yourself within the structure, you're already making it so that there are so few people who might... Who might have been interested in what you have to say because exactly. they'll write you off. So that's actually a really interesting point because I thought about this too. How much... So this is, this is larger than a political point. Mm -hmm. Campaign season is like Labor Day till now. Mm -hmm. Labor Day until the election day, okay? But you're going to see so many ads. You're going to see uh, so much stuff. People's minds were made up pretty much a year ago. And it was they were made up by the influencers that they consume, the media that they choose, the info that is that they're seeking out. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's so interesting because it wasn't like that a lot before. And now we have this constant stream of information that is dictating our opinions way before our opinion making time is supposed to be yeah and so this goes for not just politics but the world doesn't really know how to deal with that where it's like people are actually way more informed and people's opinions are actually being derived by different people than they used to be before opinions would get people would get their opinions from politicians People get their, their opinions from business leaders. Now people are getting opinion by who can get their message out the largest and the fastest. Exactly. And that is a very powerful position that if you can position yourself in, you could derive way more power and way more influence than any president. Yeah, exactly. Or any business leader. Yeah. And so it's like, it's, it's authorship, it's yep. social media, it's all that. But even, and I, and I do think that's super interesting, like that's, that route is really attractive to me because it does feel the most authentic. Mm. I feel like I'm good at it, and it came to you pretty naturally. It's not that hard because mm -hmm. it's just me. Like, like I can't, I can't do anything besides you. Yeah, but then past that, like what we've been talking about, kind of comes from a place of trying to do the best ethical things, mm -hmm. right? And 
the stuff that I feel is not necessarily always doing the best ethical things. So like there are other options of of paths to take or to go down really hard that sure might not be as impactful or helpful for people, but I just think they're super fucking cool. Right, they're impactful to yourself. Yeah. Um, and m- people, great La La Land quote, people love what other people are passionate about. Yeah. Right? Exactly. You know what's my favorite line in La La Land? This is my favorite one. Uh, Ryan Gosling, is his, bar- his apartment's a mess, and his sister said, her, uh, his sister's like, giving him shit. Mm. And he goes, I got shit. He's talking about how his club got taken away from him. He's like, I got shanghai And his sister's like, you didn't get shanghai You got ripped off. And he's like, what's the difference? And she's like, I don't know. It's just not as romantic as that. <laughs> and so many moments in life are just like, it's just not as romantic as that. These aren't like these big, incredulous moments. They're just not romantic. Holy shit, dude. This is, this is a tangent and a half okay. for us to go down. Give it to me. I... The way I describe it is, is um, thinking about life as a TV show. Uh-huh. And the difference is that in a TV show, after a scene, the director yells cut, right? And it transitions to the next scene that has some importance to the plot. In life, the moments where you feel like cut should be called... It is not. It continues. Whoa, that's and, great. And in those moments, it is like you can either you can either be complete. You can either try to be okay with that, like nothingness, that lack of any importance, or the lack of romanticization. Or what I usually feel is pressure to develop it, and so. Um, that can be... What do you mean tiring. develop it? What do you mean by that? Like indulge in it? Create it. Like to... Oh. To... To make... Something... More... Important or interesting. Romanticize it. Exactly. Yeah. To do something worth being in a story. Ah. Oh, I think about that all the time. A lot of the times when I think about things I'm going to either do at night... Or uh, the things I w- was doing in my dating life. Or yeah. I was always like, I'm just going to make it so 10 years from now I got a really funny story to tell. You go on a bad date? Doesn't matter. Okay. It's an awesome story. Yeah. You, you know, you go and you hang out with friends even though you're tired. It's like, no, 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 no. Make a story out of it. Exactly. You make these stories. Yeah. See what I mean? And I think about that a lot too, where I want to have a good story to tell. Yeah. In a lot of these instances. And I think like but that what that also does thinking about life like that, you romanticize a lot of things that happen to you. And your highs can get really high and your lows can get super low. Because yeah. a lot of times if you're romanticizing these things, you indulge in them. You can soak in them. Which is like, you know, Ryan Gosling being soaking and surrounding himself with the failure of his music place not opening. Because mm. he got Shanghaied. And every day he's driving to work thinking about how he got Shanghai and, and his whole life was taken from him. Yeah. But it's not as romantic as that. Hmm. Hmm. I think I, I... I'm somewhat with you. 
I somewhat think there's another another element to it. Okay. Because I, I I've been thinking about how I. The alternative to having high highs and low lows is having a constant middle. Yeah. And the thing is about Ryan Gosling when he gets when he feels like he gets shanghaied mm-hmm. is sure like he has the the montages the part of the movie where he's depressed. Oh, I know what you're gonna say, but yeah. And then that's the reason that that fits so perfectly as part of the plot is because of the bounce back. Mm-hmm. Um. So it's like I. It's almost like I feel like I. I need more of these, these highs and lows because they will feed into each other and it will make it so that there is still movement. Right. And that's what matters most. Just stagnation is what scares you. Yeah. And I was thinking, I was, I was thinking about this too, or whatever. Do you know how humans make memories? How humans like, I'm not a scientist. Hmm. I read this. Okay. I, it could be wrong. Okay, but this is what I've what I kind of understand. The way that we develop timelines and make memories of our lives is moments of like, oh, this is the birthday present I got when I was five. This is the time that we went to Thanksgiving and the car broke down. Mm-hmm. Moments of impactful importance. This is the time I played Pokemon for 13 hours straight after not playing it for years, right? These are impactful moments. If you don't have those moments, you don't develop memories and your understanding of your timeline erodes. And that's when time moves really fast because you don't have things to remember. Yeah. And that's why time starts moving fast when you get older. It's because people aren't having those moments of like, oh my God, my kid was born. Yeah. Because your kid moved out 10 years ago. There's nothing else going on. And it's like always struggling to make those moments so that it doesn't just pass you by. Because you need to have your timeline. You need to be 60 years old and be able to think, oh man, remember that thing I did when I was 24 or, you know, that girl I was seeing when I was 25. You need to have these. It's so important. Isn't that scary to think about? If you don't get these big moments, man, it just goes. And you're just on autopilot. So, yes, don't, I don't think you should romanticize a lot of aspects of your life. But the caveat is you have to be careful because you need those highs and lows. Because those lows and highs are your my, milestones. So what is the problem with romanticizing life then? Oh, sometimes you could just go, not go your way and you just get depressed by it because you let it get too down but on I think, you. But I think that is exactly like the issue is thinking that that's an issue. I think I... You don't um, think that you can get paralyzed by being too far down? I, no, I think you can. Okay. But I think that's like a separate thing from the downness itself. Mm. I think, I think somewhere that I have gone wrong is, is like playing it safe too long, too often mm-hmm. to get to a point where, um, what was it? What were we just fucking talking about? Timelines, moments, timelines, importance. Highs, highs and lows, yeah, importance. Um, I'm playing it safe too often. Oh, so as to not feel those lows. Okay, 
right? Yeah. So as to not get super depressed, like I, I don't send that risky text. Right. I just, I don't do the things that can really blow up a relationship because I instead just let it fester and I try to like communicate and instead there will be slow erosion that just happens mm. or slow build up all the time. I see. And it means that like my my fear to to burst out of the comfort zone um, sure makes it so that I'm less likely to get really crushed but also makes it so that I don't live as much. Avoiding, it's important to not avoid the crushes. Exactly. That's huge. But being able to hit, take the crush and move on mm-hmm. is vital. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean when I mean don't romanticize. That's what I mean. You have to take that hit. You have to be sad for like two days and you got to get back up really fast. Yes, and realize it's not the other, end of it. And you have to realize it's not the end of it because no one's calling cut. So, yes. And you also need to realize that you have a bunch of shit going on and you can't break the chain with all the things you have going on in your life. Yes. It all ties together, man. Totally. Oh my God, yes. That was huge. That was like <laughs> that, that was like philosophically orgasmic. That was great. That was amazing. So I think like, you know, I, I, I totally don't take enough risks. I don't. I know that about myself. I don't do that. Um, I'm pretty satisfied with my life so far, though, which is great. I'm like, again, I like everything going for me right yeah. now, and I'm like happy, which is interesting because I'm not, I'm not used to that. Last year was probably like the worst year ever, ever. I was so stressed out because of school. Really? Exams were killing me. Damn. I was like stressing out because I had this internship that I didn't know how to do the work for that I had, and I felt guilty because I didn't know what I was doing. So it was just only all around bad time. Yeah. And then also I had this other massive pressure because I wasn't making good money. Well, everyone else of my friends, you had a job. Fucking everyone else is out here working. Yeah. And then I'm here just, you know, oh, I'm going to class. I felt like an idiot. Yeah. So, point is, this is new for me being satisfied right now. But I will say I'm in a little bit of a holding pattern. I've had, had some pretty high highs recently. At girlfriend. Girlfriend, which is great. Yeah. So I had had some pretty high highs. But, uh, and some low lows have occurred. But like, you know, I'm an anxious guy. And I don't really like testing my anxiety too often. Which is where I used to. I used to test my anxiety a lot more when I was a kid. Yeah. Now I'm not testing my anxiety as much, which is kind of an issue. So that's that. That's like why I'm not kind of having those low lows. Is because I'm not putting myself in situations that would really do it to me. Because yes. I get anxious over way different things than you get anxious over. Yeah, like food. Food's one. I hate traveling. Traveling just freaks me out. Mm. Getting on a plane is like my nightmare. You know. Yeah. Uh, but I got to go on a plane eventually. Like my job is so funny. They were like, the client briefly proposed the idea of flying me out to Houston for two weeks paralyzed in fear immediately I was like I can't go to Houston I can't get on a plane right now but the truth is probably the best thing for me is to hop on that plane yeah you know totally. I'm terrified of course <laughs> oh uh, and and yeah I think you're right that we're anxious about different things but yeah. I think my anxiety is just as yeah strong just mm-hmm. as powerful and yeah, I, I like, um, I think I was talking about something similar in therapy recently. Is like, I I need to, I want to just take more risks. But it's also, it's a weird thing where like, it feels like life doesn't necessarily 
present Dude, that's so true. opportunities for risk taking all the totally time. Totally not. You have to build them. Yeah. And it takes time to build them. And then it takes time to follow through on them. Yeah. Then it, no, no, no. It takes time to build them. And then it takes a lot of courage to follow through on them. Yes. Yes. And I can have courage sometimes, mm-hmm. but not all the time. And it's really, I, I admit it's, um, like I, I start to, I get ashamed for lacking courage. Oh, me too. Oh, totally. Because sometimes I do watch the moments pass me by. And I'll, and like you just make, you have some rationalization in your head for yeah. why it was completely okay. Yep. And that's an awful feeling. You always, you always try to, what's the word I'm looking for? Never underestimate the human's mind ability to rationalize itself. You can rationalize, if you do something wrong and you know it's wrong and it's wrong, you will always find a way to make it okay for yourself that you're the good guy. It'll always happen. Yeah. And you'll always, that's why complacency is so easy to build because you'll always be able to justify like, no, I was just really tired that day. Or like, I, I don't want to go up to that girl. That, was, that, was, that wasn't the right circumstance. She didn't want to be bothered anyway. Exactly. You know, you'll exactly. always be able to rationalize it. Or there was nothing else I could have studied for that exam. I was always going to fail it. No matter how many books or time I spent studying, I was always going to fail. Yeah. There's always a way to rationalize it. Yeah. And, oh my God, absolutely. And I think it's like you can rationalize it to yourself, but you're, it's also like hearing the rationalizations of others that you've mm. talked to before and like even if you get to the point where it's like okay I can get over this um, I can get over what my mind is telling me to try to keep me safe right now it's like I think about the voice of these other people that's like this is wrong and they are they're fully confident in in those opinions and I'm like it's it's almost like this threat of of external judgment right um that makes it so that it's always safer to keep yourself small instead of putting yourself out there. Yeah, it's always safer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it saves you from the low lows because the low lows suck. Yeah. And, you know, being open to them, being open to them before having them is really huge because mm. if you're not ready for them and they come, that'll really devastate you. That'll yeah. really sucks. I, I haven't, you know, I, I, I can only count on like I can only count two times I really feel like I was in a low low. Really? Yeah. Yeah. One was probably my first breakup. Mm. And the second one was when I really thought I wasn't going to graduate. When I really thought that I was going to fail my exam the next week. And I had it, it would have totally ruined my life. Mm. Not ruined it, but it would have delayed me by another year. Which, yeah. when you're young, feels like your life is ruined. Yes. So I had, those are probably like the two moments in my life where I was like, I'm just down. Yeah. You know, and that was just being able to get out of that, being able to get out of, especially the school one. Yeah. Being able to get out of that and then realizing how great everything is going to be was just huge. I feel like it's interesting because the school one feels different to me where it's like the low, low was the fear of what was going to happen. It wasn't that the thing actually happened and that it hit you, Mm. but the breakup that actually happened. Right. But would you say that... Um, that it still was more because I guess what it is with the school thing what it seems like to me is that it's the idea that now you can do something that you thought you couldn't do instead of um, instead of you felt like you hit a limit mm. and then you had to 
kind of change your idea of yourself based on knowing that that limit existed? Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know which one. I mean, did more for my character development. I had no idea. Fine. Yeah, I don't know. But what were were your lows? What do you think? I think about my lows overall. um, The... First girl I really fell for at in my senior year of high school, mm-hmm. not liking me back. That was really low. Um, yeah, that's like the, the first one's always a girl related. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's hard to think of of other instances though, because it it kind of always again it always felt like a taper. I don't know I. Um, I think there was a time when I was also low, like in my, in my sophomore year of college, mm-hmm. it was probably the hardest, the most depressed I've ever been. Um, but it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a slap in the face. It wasn't like an out of nowhere thing. It was just like things had degenerated and I was still in this point of like, I was I didn't have to do much of anything for school. Um, I was, it's funny in college, like my ego kind of moved towards latching on more to my um, my ability to socialize. And it, it, I was just so, I was so fragile because it was less, um, it was so much less happening than freshman year. Everyone was always doing everything together. Um, way less development happening mm-hmm. and I kind of just felt like like there like there would be no problem with me not existing mm. you know not in like a suicidal way just right. like it's like there isn't that much weight would, on yeah there's nothing, no. nothing happening um, so and like I don't know it's I think it's super easy to continue to have ideas like that especially with all the stuff we've been talking about is like you could do a lot of this, you could do a lot of this, you could do a lot of this, you could do none of it, and everything's still pretty much going to be the same. That's what's so scary. Like, you, there is, yeah, you could literally do everything you could do in a situation, or nothing, and a lot of times, 10 years from now, you're in the same spot. Exactly. And you're like, what is the point of doing all this then? I feel like the, a perfect example of this for me is, like, um, like approaching girls I see in public. Mm-hmm. It's something that I, I've done several times. I've gotten the number, like, uh, and I'll, I'll, like, text back and forth a few times, and then it'll always end up being nothing. Yeah. And that might just be because I'm bad yeah. at it. <laughs> I probably am. Um, but but it's it's almost like, yeah, okay, I like, I know I can do this thing. I know I can go up to someone and get their number. Um, but is it, like, nothing's going to change. it's not even going to change how I see myself because I know I can do it right that's usually what it is before right that's actually super interesting you're at like a different stage yeah so I don't know in summary don't over romanticize the downs don't break the chain and go up to random girls it's not that hard (laughs) (laughs) those are the three keys to life people um I mean, I feel like we're at a good spot. We I think stop. so, too. Yeah? How, how long was it? Two hours, seven minutes. No shit. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. 
It was well, it was a pleasure talking to you. Fantastic. That was so much fun. I love that. I love right. that too. Well, we'll get you back on. Eventually, I'm going to run out of friends and have to redo everyone. So I'm, Listen, I'm surprised you haven't ran out yet, so it's pretty good. <laughs> I'm literally like, like I was going through my contacts, and you're the first person who came up that I was like, it doesn't make sense that I have a podcast <laughs> with him yet. All right. Well, awesome. Yeah. That was so much fun. Um, cool. All right. See you, people. Bye, everybody.